still praying over them. We're still following up with them, and we're believing the Lord for fruit and fruit that would remain. So we want to express our faith through love. We're praying now about some opportunities we have this Thanksgiving and this Christmas to be the light of Jesus to the world. And so just be praying with us because we, we don't want to be the church that just ministers inside of the four walls. Thank God for what happens in here in the four walls. But how many know really the church begins when the church service ends? The church begins on Monday at your job. The church begins on Tuesday when you're with your family who is far from Christ. How many of you have family that will never darken the door of a church? My hands are up. Well, when they're around you, they're around the church. When they're around you, they're around the light of Jesus. And so that's their prayer. This, this holiday season... Take advantage of the opportunity. Maybe, maybe let the Holy Spirit lead you in a certain way where you can minister to your family. Because at Christmas time, you're around family that you don't normally get to see and that you don't normally get to interact with. And I believe the Lord can use you just in a really powerful way. So one way that we accomplish this is through encouraging individuals. We want to be an uplifting church. We want to always leave you lifted. We want to create an atmosphere of affirmation. How many know there's no upside to down? There's no upside to down, and the Scriptures are, are full with God encouraging us. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a kind word cheers him up. And so when you come to this church, we want to encourage you to be all that you can be for the Lord. We want to encourage you to make a difference for Jesus. We want to encourage all the men to be good husbands. Can I have an amen? We want to encourage all the ladies to be good godly women and good godly mothers and good godly spouses. Can I have an amen? We want to encourage all the kids to be good, godly children. Can I have an amen from everybody in the house? And so we just want to encourage you to, to follow God's plan for your life. And that's, that's why I love this church. It's, it's such a great group of people. And we're believing God to use us to do big things. I mean, you've got to dream for the Lord. We're believing God to use us to do great and mighty things in this city. All right, we're going to jump in this morning to our message. I have a special one-off today, one-time series. And I love it when the Lord kind of interrupts our plan you have to come back next week, and we'll jump back into the Gospel of Mark. Uh, here, typically on Sundays, we're going through Mark, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And that forces us to read the Scriptures we don't have highlighted. I mean, we like to read our favorite passages, but there's a lot in Mark that I bet you did not have highlighted. And so we're going through that verse by verse, and we're going to pick back up next week. But this morning, i got a very special message entitled, Never Give Up. Never Give Up give up. Would you just look at your neighbor or the person closest to you and say, never give up, never give up, never give up. Pastor Michael shared about it this morning. Uh, the songs flowed right into this, and this was a, a late, last-minute word the Lord gave me, and so the, the song team and all that didn't know what I was going to be preaching on, but yet we're singing about your love never fails, and you stay the same through the ages, and I thank God for leading us this morning down this path. Can we pray together and open our heart? And ask the Lord to just speak to us today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Just thank you, James 1.22. We'll be doers of your word, not just hearers only. Thank you, Hebrews 4. It is alive and quick and powerful. And my prayer this morning is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, that your word would richly dwell among us. Job 23.12, we esteem your word higher than necessary food. Lord, we pursue it. I just thank you, Luke 5.1, that we press in. We press into your word because it is what changes us and gives us life. And we know that your spirit is leading us into all truth. And we thank you for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Never give up. How many of you ever had a coach or a teacher or someone meaningful in your life encourage you to never give up? How many of you ever felt like throwing in the towel at anything? 
I remember when I first started trying to cook and make different things, and I like to cook now. I'm not quite as good as Susan, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm, I'm working my way on up. And so uh, I'm working on cooking, but I remember the first time I would try to cook something, I would, I would mess up and I would get so discouraged. And, and my grandmother and my mother would have to encourage me. And, and now my food is so good that I cook. My kids will even eat it from time to time. Isn't it? There is a God in heaven. Hallelujah. Pastor Michael uh, has a thing that he taught his kids from their infancy that they're at least supposed to try new food. I missed that memo in the parenting book. And so now my kids are too old to me to force them to try things, and it's, it's kind of conflicting. But I was encouraged to never give up. Think about something in your life that you almost quit on. Maybe it was a marriage that you almost quit on. Maybe it was a job that you almost quit on, and on the other side of you almost quitting was a tremendous blessing. Maybe it was a church family that you almost quit on, and but you stayed with it, and God did something great in that body. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe something, some, some endeavor. Maybe it was something in school, academically. Maybe it was a career. Maybe it was learning an instrument. Maybe there's something in your life that you wanted to give up on, but you were encouraged to never give up. I want you to watch a short video clip of a very inspirational Olympian, Derek Redman, who had a tremendous fall, but he was determined to not give up. Check out this short video. That man is his father with a pulled hamstring. He was determined, 70,000 strong in the stadium, cheering him on as he finished the race. You can go ahead and stop that video. Come on, can we give God a thanks for such an encouraging story? So as Pastor Michael mentioned this morning, that not only does God come alongside of us, but one another. We're to come alongside one another. And there may be some of you in this room this morning who are in a place of wanting to quit. You're in a place of wanting to give up. And I'm here to come alongside you and to encourage you this morning. The Lord would say to us that we need to keep moving. The worst thing that we can do is in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our mire, is to stop. The thing the enemy would have us do is to stop, but God would say this morning to keep moving. You see, people have accomplished great things after failure. Many people have accomplished tremendous things. Do you know that Henry Ford actually went broke five times before he invented the automobile? How many of you drive Fords? How many of you are thankful that he didn't give up and didn't quit? How many of you drive Chevys and you're like, well, he could have stayed broke a little longer. <laughs> but he went broke five times. How about a man named Walt Disney who, who was fired from a newspaper because he lacked creativity? <laughs> Who's laughing now, huh? He also filed bankruptcy numerous times before opening the Disney Corporation. So just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure. I came by this morning to just encourage you that you may have fallen, but you can get back up and you can never quit. It doesn't mean that you are a failure. Failure is not an act, it's an attitude. Failure is not an act, it's an attitude. I'm going to succeed in Jesus' name. I'm not going to quit. You know, and in our minds, Satan works on our minds and he drains us of hope. What is hope? Hope is a confident expectation about the future. Hope is a confident expectation about the future. Satan comes in and says, it's impossible. You can't handle the pressure at work. How many of you have ever had days like that? There's no way, Satan says, that your children will turn out to be productive members of society. How many of you felt that from time to time? There's no way that you can handle the pressures of keeping the home and all the chores that go in with that. There's no way that you can handle the pressure of finishing school and getting this degree and advancing on. But, but I want you to see this PowerPoint for life. This is so true. This affects everybody in the room. God always believes that with one more chance we can succeed. God always believes that with just one more chance we can make it and we can be a success and we can 
do the things God has called us to do. So this morning, I want us to travel through Judges chapter 6. We're going to touch in 6 and 7. And I don't preach out of the Old Testament a lot. I love the Old Testament. But of course, at least this year, we've been in the New Testament. But I want us to jump back to, to Judges. And let me just give you some background. How many of you have ever heard of a man named Gideon? How many of you have ever been to a hotel and found a Gideon's Bible in there? And, and, and we've seen that, we understand that. Let me give you just a little background of this story just to catch us up before we read a few passages here. Gideon was the fifth judge of Israel. This was before Israel had kings, and God raised him up as a leader, and I believe he was a judge for about 40 years. You'll have to look up that date for sure. But the people of Israel had finally entered the promised land. They had arrived. They had been wandering in the desert and all this and in captivity, and now they had finally arrived at the place that God had given them, and they forgot all about God and turned to idol worship. How many know if God has brought you out of years and hundreds and hundreds of years of captivity, I don't think we should be so quick to forget the Lord and go to idol worship. But the people of Israel had major issues, and, and they began to worship false gods, mainly Baal. And there were two groups on, on each side of, of Israel there in their land, and one was the Midianites, and the Midianites gave them a tremendous fit. They gave them a tremendous difficulty. The Bible says that for seven years, somebody say seven, for seven years the Midianites would come, and once a year they would pillage the land of Israel, and they would basically come in and take over all of their harvest. All year long the Israelites would toil, and they would work the ground, they would sow the seed, they would grow this great harvest and then the Midianites would come in and pillage it and plunder it and rake over the land and steal all of their food. Reminds me of the bully uh, at school that would always come up and take your lunch money. Anybody ever remember the bully that wanted your lunch money? How many of you were the bully out there? I was so little, Joseph, when the bully would come up, I would just start shaking myself, you know, here, here, just take it, you know. I knew what was coming. But the Midianites were the bully of Israel and for seven long devastating years, everything they worked for was snatched out of their hand. Have you ever worked really hard on a craft or something and then dropped it or broke it? I remember one time we had a sweet lady prepare a birthday cake and it was a birthday celebration and the cake was dropped and it was just devastating. And, and how many of you have ever had an experience like that? This went on for seven years. How many think they would want to quit? They would want to give up. So the people of Israel began to, to hide and they were forced into the hills and to the mountains. And they would, actually, they would actually, this time of the year, they would scavenge some grain and some, some food and they would bury it. And they began to go to the mountains and the villages and they, they, they hid themselves from the towns. And so we find our man now named Gideon who grew up in this environment. This is what he knows. He grew up with this pillaging from the Midianites and this this plundering. And then the Bible says that we find Gideon, we meet him, and he's hiding in a wine press. Now, in our day, a wine press is a, is a kind of a tube, and you put the grapes in a press. So he wasn't like in a fetal position in a barrel. That's not what he was in. Pull up the picture, Jared, of this wine press. I want you to see this for context. Because he was hiding in a pit that they would actually dig out, and they would actually put a grate over the, the pit, and then they would mash and stomp the wine, and the, so they would smash around in there, and all the juice would flow down into the middle. I have experienced this sort of press. I want to tell you a little story. I was in a foreign country. It shall remain nameless, in case these wonderful, sweet people listen to my podcast. But I was in a foreign country, and the pastor's family wanted to uh, bless us and provide us a dinner. And it was a really good opportunity. They, they'd spent all their money and bought the food, and it was such an exciting time. 
We're sitting at the table in this village, hardly with any electricity, dirt floor, two rooms in this house, and, and the, the lady, the sweet lady comes up and she says, do you want fresh watermelon juice? And I said, oh, I love watermelon juice. And the missionary sitting beside me said, no, thank you. I don't, I don't, I don't want any of your juice. And, and I was like, man, I love it. Sign me up. This is great. Give me double portion. Because you know, I've been drinking sodas all week, and I wanted some great watermelon juice. I noticed as I was eating, Susan, that I was the only one at the table drinking any watermelon juice. And I thought, well, maybe they don't like watermelon. And so we get back in the van, and they say, James, do you know why we didn't drink any watermelon juice? And I said, I don't know why. Tell me. They said, well, did you, did you see that grate in the house that was in the floor? And I said, yeah, I thought that was just a drainage pipe or something. He said, they don't have juicers here. <laughs> I said, please tell me more. <laughs> what do you mean? He said, they put the watermelon on that grate, and then with their feet, they mash it, and there's a bucket under it to catch the watermelon juice. <laughs> Somebody go, ooh. <laughs> Let's just say I was feeling a little weird the rest of the day. But so I understand this wine press concept. They would smash the grapes down, and it's big enough for a man to get down in. And so we find here in Judges 6, now our man Gideon is hiding. Somebody say, he's hiding. He's hiding, he's hiding in a wine press from the Midianites. And let's pick up in Judges chapter 6. Now I want us to read a few passages of Scripture just for context, so don't get bored, okay? Let's start in verse 11, and we're going to read down through 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Orphrah that belonged to Joash, and where, the, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Remember that phrase. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon said. He said, you talking to me? <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, you talking to me? <laughs> he, he said, what? What did you say? Pardon me, my Lord. He said, but if the Lord is with us, catch this now. Then why has all this happened to us? If God is with us, why is all this bad stuff happening to us? He said, where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about? Did the Lord not bring us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us? See, God had not abandoned them. They had abandoned God. God had not left them. They had walked away from His statutes and His laws. But the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have. Say that phrase with me. Ready? Go in the strength that you have. Say it again. Go in the strength that you have. So I want to pull back up this passage. He said, Go in the strength that you have. And, and Gideon looked at him in verse 15 and said, Lord, how can I save Israel? Gideon said, Pardon me again, angel. How can I save Israel? He said this. He said, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. I'm the baby in the family. I'm the youngest. I'm the smallest. How can I be the deliverer? Does that sound like David? Remember King David, the youngest? I'm the least of my clan. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. So God finds Gideon here in this wine press, and he's hiding, and he says, Mighty warrior, mighty man of God, mighty man of valor, I want to use you to deliver Israel. And Gideon's like, You got the wrong guy. You read the wrong resume. But the Lord said, No, you're the one I want to use. So let me give you eight guides for going on. Eight guides from Gideon to going on. Somebody say, Giddy up. <laughs> eight guides we learn from Gideon about going on. On. This is really going to help you in a tremendous way. Never give up. Number one, here we go. Who's to blame? 
Who is to blame? Notice here Gideon said in Judges 6.13, he said, Pardon me, Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why are all these bad things happening to us? The first thing we have to realize when we approach this path of never giving up is that God is not our problem. God is the solution. He's not the problem. We read in John 10.10, Jesus talks about thieves come to kill and steal. But Jesus said, I've come to give you an abundant life. I've come to give you a full life. Jesus said, "Ah, my mission is to give you life. So the first thing that we have to realize is that God is not our problem. God is the answer. And so when we're going to, if we, if we think that God is our problem and God is causing these issues in our life, then we will not stand against them and move on and we will be tempted to just lay down and take whatever comes our way. But there are so many promises in the Word that God is for us and He's not against us. Read Romans chapter 8. If God is for us and He is, who can be against us? So we see here that we've got to put the blame where it goes. We find in the New Testament in the book of James chapter 1 and verse 13, notice this on the screen. It says, when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt any man. But verse 14 says, that person is tempted when he's enticed and dragged away by his own lust and his own desires. So we see here on down, even in verse 16, he says, do not be deceived. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be deceived. What are we to not be deceived about? The next verse. Don't be deceived about God and his goodness. Well, I feel like God's out to get me. Can I tell you a secret? If God was out to get you, you'd have done been God. <laughs> I know that's not proper, Susan, but it just makes sense. If God was out to get you, you'd have done been God. God is not out to get you. He is out to love you, and he's out to save you, and he's out to challenge you. Now, this is what we have to understand. God accepts us as is, but he challenges us to change. God loves us as is, but he, soon as we began, soon as we sign up to be a follower of Christ, we start a journey of growth upward and discipleship in the Lord. Now notice this here. It says in verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from our Heavenly Father, the Father of lights. And He doesn't even change. There's not even a shifting shadow, meaning it's not good God one day and bad God the next. We're approaching Halloween and there's, you know, movies on and Dr. Jekyll and, and Hyde, and there's Frankenstein and all those movies, and you don't know who you're going to get today. Is it the good one or the bad one? Wow, there's a lot of chaos in the world. God must be having a bad day. God didn't have anything to do with it. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4 that Satan is the god of this world's system, cosmos, this world's systems. And so we live in a fallen world. How many know we live in a cursed, fallen world? So I can't explain to you why good things happen to bad people. I'm not explaining to you today why we, even as believers, have negative situations in our life, but I can tell you with 100% confidence, God is not the author of our problems. He's the answer. He's the solution. So if we're never going to give up, we have to hang our hats on that. The second thing I learned from Gideon is this. Number two is that God meets us where we are. God meets us where we are. One of my spiritual fathers in the faith, he says, God has a plan for wherever you land. Say that with me. Say, God has a plan for wherever I land. I love that about God. I've seen so many people come in broken and so many people come in and they need restored. And I've seen marriages put back together. And I've seen lives change because of the grace and power of God. So God will meet you right where you are. In your time of brokenness and in your time of despair, God will meet you there. Remember Judges 6.11? We just read it. It says the angel came where his son Gideon was. God meets us right where we are. 
God will accept you as is, but he won't let you stay that way. Isn't that good news? God will accept you and love you as is. And so I put this in my notes. It's never too late and it's never too bad to turn to Christ. Your situation is never too bleak to come to the Lord. You've not gone too far. You can come back to the Lord. Look at Philippians 3.14. I love this passage. Philippians 3.14 declares this. I press on. Somebody say, I press on. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Another translation says, which God has called me upward. So we see here very clearly that God meets us where we are. There's something else I learned from Gideon. Number three, we've got to see ourselves as God sees. Write that down. This is help. This will help you never give up. This will help you when the going gets tough to get even tougher. This will help you when opposition comes. Well, everything's good right now. How many know things don't always stay good all the time? Sometimes we have trials and sometimes we have life and sometimes problems happen. So we've got to be resolved in our faith that we will never give up. Say it with me, Sal. Never give up. Check out number three. See yourself as God sees. Don't you love that picture? That's how I see myself every day when I get in the mirror. I look in the mirror and see this really handsome guy with a nice beard. And, and that's what my wife sees too when she sees that, obviously. I understand what you all see, but I know what I see and I know what my wife sees. There is, there is an oak tree in every acorn. I want you to get this. Now, when, when, you know, so when we look at Meshach, we may just see a nut. I mean, but, but God sees an oak tree in there. <laughs> High five anyway. I love you, buddy. I'm just teasing. You do know oak trees come from acorns. Everybody knows that. So I have hundreds of acorns on my yard right now because we have a giant oak tree in my front yard. And every time I walk by that, Pastor Michael, I think, there's an oak tree. There's an oak tree. It's going in the trash, but there's an oak tree. I don't want that many oak trees in my house. But God sees the oak tree in every acorn. If you could see yourself how the Lord sees you, if you could see the, the, the mighty man of valor. Remember we read in our story, Gideon's hiding in the wine press. He's a chicken. He's a scaredy cat. And the angel comes and says, you mighty warrior. On the outside, Gideon looked like a little weenie, scrawny chicken hiding from the enemy. And God says, there's a warrior on the inside of you. There is something special on the inside of you. And for far too long, we've let society and we've let culture and we've let family push down what God has said you are and what God says and sees you to be. Oh, if we could see as God sees. Gideon had a mighty warrior on the inside of him. Look at Jeremiah 29. You know this. You could quote it. Look at verse 10. We always quote 11, which is good. I'm not killing your favorite thing here. 11 is your favorite verse, but it would be much better if you connected it with 10 and 12. These really, really great verses. Look at this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, they're in captivity. He's prophesying about, about a really bad time. He's prophesying about a time when the people of God could give up. There's no future for the people of God. We'll never be back in our homeland He's prophesying that after 70 years are completed in Babylon, in slavery, in captivity, in the worst trials that you could imagine, he says, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise. The reason I came by this morning is to tell you, God wants to fulfill his good promise in your life. Here's that good promise, verse 11. The good promise is, God says, I know the plans I have for you. On the outside, your life may be a wreck. 
but I know the good plans I have for you. On the outside, things may be chaotic. On the outside, your body may be broken physically and you're fighting ailments. And mentally, maybe you have things that you're warring with on the inside that nobody knows about. But God says that may be the outside, but I know my plan for you. It's a plan of good, not of evil, to prosper you and to give you success, to give you hope. God's plan is not to harm you. Say this to me. Say, God has a good plan. Say, God has a good future. So wouldn't we be wise to hitch on with the one who has a good future plan for us? Never give up. Number four. Man, this is good preaching. I'm going to give myself an offering when I get home today. Hallelujah. Number four. Give God what you have. Anytime... In Scripture, we see God doing something for someone. There's always a response. Just going to be honest with you. something It bothers me when God is working in someone's life and they take the blessings and goodness of God and they forget all about what the Lord has done and they go on about their life. It bothers me because in Scripture, when God touched people, Bethany, when He ministered to them and helped them, they always turned back and did something. They always had some kind of act of worship. They always had some kind of act of honoring God and saying, Thank you. When you have been touched, you say, Thank you. Can I have an amen? When the preaching's good, you say, Amen. Can I have an amen? All right. So we must give what we have to God. Look in Judges 6.19. Look what Gideon did. I'll, I won't read all the language here, but basically he went and he got some flour and he went and got a goat. Remember, they're in famine. Remember, this food is scarce. His family needed this. They were being pillaged. And, and notice what happened. He went and got a goat and got some flour and he made stew. He made goat stew. Susan, can you whip us up some goat stew someday? It had dough as goat and dumplings. <laughs> he had flour and, and goat, and he put it in a pot, and he made a stew, and he brought it back to the angel, and he offered it there. Ladies and gentlemen, when your heart is touched from God, do something. Give God some time, five minutes a day. Give God your ability to serve others. We're approaching Thanksgiving and Christmas. There is something you can do to be a blessing in the name of Jesus for someone else. It doesn't have to be something huge. You can bake a pie for your neighbor and put a little note. Hey, God loves you. He thinks you're special, and we do too. Here's a fresh apple pie. And my address is 181. If you want to bring me one, I'll be blessed too. Amen. You can do something to say thank you to the Lord for touching your life. You can give of your time. You can serve in the name of Christ. You can give of your finances. You can make a commitment to get in a good Bible-believing church and study the Word of God. You can do something to give back to the Lord for touching us. Number five, we've only got eight. I think we're going to make it. Not only are we going to blame the right person. Maybe it's just a bad world. Maybe it's a fallen world. Maybe it's something that Satan has done. I'm going to tell you that Satan gets blamed for a lot of stuff that he didn't have anything to do with. We could actually, Satan could retire, and I think a lot of churches would still have problems. <laughs> Come on, because there's people in there. Sometimes it's just bad people. Sometimes it's bad situations. I had, a, I had a flat tire this morning. It wasn't the devil. I ran over a nail. Right? I don't think the devil had anything to do with that. If the devil had something to do with it, my car would have been disintegrated when I walked out to the driveway, okay? Because you know what? A little flat tire, that ain't going to mess me up. That ain't going to ruin my day. It went Pastor Michael's day because I was late to set up and he had to do more on his own, but it's not going to ruin my day. 
So let's put the blame where it goes. God is not our problem. He's the answer. God meets us where we are. Begin to see yourself as God sees you. Well, how do I know how God sees me? Read his word about how he sees you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you and he ordained you. Man, that's good. I want to bite this microphone that's so good. That would be shocking. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't want to pay my dental bill, so I won't do it. Aren't you glad you don't go to a boring church? I, I did have two cups of coffee this morning, if you can't tell. Hallelujah. Ellie likes this. Number five, we got to obey the word of the Lord. We blame the right people, which is not God. We understand God meets us where we are, has a plan for wherever we land. We see as God sees. We give God what we have. We offer something back to the Lord. Then number five, this is how we never get, we obey the word of the Lord. Gideon could have had this marvelous encounter, but Gideon had a choice. You can hear from God, but that's not the end. I hear people say, I just want to hear from God. And I understand that. I want to hear from God. But what if God tells you something that you don't want to do? There is doing attached to hearing. Would you say that with me? Say, there is doing attached to hearing. Scripture tells us this so clear. It's one thing to hear, but it's another to do. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 21 and 22. James chapter 1. I encourage you, bring your Bibles. We put the words up here on the screen, but I want you to bring your Bibles and make sure the Scriptures that I'm telling you are what's actually in the book. Write them down and check them out. I could put, someday I may come in and just put some goofy Scripture up here on a different reference just to see if anybody catches it. How are you going to know if you don't check it out? Check it out for yourself. Amen? Look what the Word says in James 1, 21 and 22. Therefore, get rid of all moral. I'm sorry if you can go back to that screen. Get rid of all moral filth. How I many know we ought to take that to heart in America? Get rid of all moral filth. You know what is intriguing to me, Pastor Michael? He's talking to the church. James here is an apostle. He's a pastor at the Church of Jerusalem. He's talking to good old church people. Yes, he is. Anytime I feel like, man, God, look at these people you've sent to me. I just read this, and then I feel better about it. Amen. I'm teasing. Look at this here. He said, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word that is planted in you. Underline in your mind that word planted. God's word is a seed. Every time you come and hear the word of God, when you put the Bible on at night, you know the best thing you could do for a week before you go to bed is put your Bible app on. How many of you have a smartphone or a tablet? Put the Bible app on, put it on a book, and just hit play and go to bed for an entire week with that word playing in the background. You will begin, you will wake up. The next day, you'll have scriptures on the inside of you that you didn't even know that you had. Where did that come from? You're listening and you're putting the word of God in. It's a seed. I'm telling you, if you're in a dry place, I sense this very strong from the Lord. If you're in a dry place, if you do the things you've always done, you'll get the same results you've always got. Thank you. All right. I didn't want to mess that up. It's spiritual truth. I didn't want to butcher the English. If you continue to do the same things, you'll have the same results. I sense the Lord would just challenge you. Go deeper. Go deeper. Don't give up. You push forward. Don't go backwards. You move on. You keep moving. You do you whatever you're doing, turn it up a little bit. Give God another chance. Put the word on at night and just go to bed with the Spirit of God speaking to you. Give it two weeks and it'll change your life, I promise. Then you've got to do these words. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says, or you deceive yourself. Say, I'm gonna be a doer. Amen, amen. 
All right, number six, two more. We're going to make it. This is so good. Now, let me say this one very carefully. Uh, we got plenty of time. We're, we're way good, so don't check out. I want to say this very cautiously without emotion because I want to make sure we understand this point. Your relationship with God is more important than your relationship with your family. But, everybody say, but. But God is pro-family. God loves family so much. God authored family. He authored marriage between a man and a woman and, and staying together in and, and long-term marriage. And God ordained the mom and dad in the home. And, and, and if you're not there, no condemnation. If that's not in your situation, no condemnation. But we have to preach that that is God's ultimate best. And we've all fallen short. But God meets you wherever you are and wherever you land. But I want you to see this very clearly. Your relationship with God is so much more important than your relationship with your family, meaning your family may not always understand. Now, now let me just explain this just a little bit. God is pro-family. God is pro-marriage. God is pro-children. But if your family is anti-Christ, meaning your family is not connected with God, meaning your family does not follow the statutes of God, when you say, I'm never giving up and I'm marching forward with God's plan, your family may not understand and you're going to have a choice. Am I going to follow God and His plan or am I going to follow what my family wants me to do? How many of you know sometimes your family can really get a grip on you and if they're in the world and they're ungodly and they're leading you this way, they can influence you in a great and powerful way. God's design is for you to get so radically on fire for the Lord Jesus that that fire begins to burn in your family. I'm not telling you to... Uh, you know, leave your family. I'm not telling you any of that. I'm just telling you that as you go after God, if your family is not, they may not understand. Well, Pastor James, this is good, but we're talking about Gideon. What does this have to do with Gideon? I'm glad that you asked. Look at Judges chapter 6, and let's look at verse 24. Gideon's father was worshiping Baal. Gideon's father was a part of the problem for the entire nation. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands. Now notice this here in verse 25. The same night the Lord said. So notice one act of obedience will open you up to receive another act of obedience. If you feel stuck, go back and obey. And when you obey, then you can take another step. And then when you obey, God will give you another step. Let me say this kindly. If you have not obeyed the first step, why would God give you another one? Somebody say, look out. So Gideon built an altar, and then the angel came that night and said, I want you to take a second bull from your father's herd, seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal. This man is a prominent man in this community. He had herds, he had wealth, he had built an altar to Baal. Gideon was being exposed to this. And he said, tear down the Asherah pole besides it. And then they said, build a proper altar. See, there is a proper way to worship. There is a proper way to do things in the kingdom of God. Tear down your father's altar and build the proper kind of altar and, and make it this height and so forth. And going down to the next verse, I want you to see this in, in verse 27. Go to the next screen. And then it says, so Gideon then took ten of his men and he did as the Lord commanded, but he was afraid of his family. So he did it at night. You know, Gideon's a big old chicken. 
He's afraid of what mom and daddy are going to say. So he, he said, okay, I'll tear it down, but I'm going to do it at nighttime. I love this. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love this. This, is, this gives me hope because I don't see him getting chastised for being afraid. I don't see him getting reprimanded. Oh, I told you to do this. You go out in the middle of the day and you take. I don't see any negative towards Gideon because he obeyed because he had courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward. In spite of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is going ahead with God's plans even in spite of fear. So Gideon went at nighttime because he was afraid. And it says in the morning when the people of the town got up, there was bells altered. It was all demolished. And, and the poles were cut down and the bulls were sacrificed. And look what they said. They said, who did this? Look at this verse. They said, who did this? Go to the next screen. And they said, We've investigated this, and we were told that Gideon, the son of Joash, did it. Somebody go, uh-oh. Notice here, they, they demanded of Joash, bring your son. He must die. Notice this here. He must die because of what he has done. I want to say this in a very kind and gentle way. Gideon had a choice to make. Am I going to obey God? Or am I going to obey what my family is going in a direction that is anti-God, anti-Christ? This is something I thought about, Pastor Michael. The people that were worshiping Baal, they had no reservation about harming Gideon. They had no thought for Gideon or his family or his feelings. They were so quick to cast judgment. But yet we are so afraid as Christians, we don't have that same boldness. You see what I'm saying? We, they were so quick to pass judgment. They were so quick to say he must die. But when God gives us a word, we spend, we spend hours and months thinking about how it's going to mess with the rest of our family. We don't have the same boldness to go after the word of God as they had the same boldness to go after the false prophet. So I'm not saying just leave your family. Don't do that. But what I'm saying is you got to make a decision. Are you going to let your family keep you in this path of giving up and giving up and giving up? Or are you going to go after the word of the Lord and follow God and then believe God your family will follow? Let's be a light to our family. Does that make sense? I hope that helps you this morning. All right, number seven is we get ready to wrap it up. And again, I want to be real careful how I don't want you to hear something I'm not saying. So I think you got the point. I love this one. Number seven, look for confirmation that God is at work. Say that with me. Say, look for confirmation that God is at work. Gideon said, Lord, if you want me to do this, I'm going to put a piece of cloth on the ground, and I want you to make the cloth wet and the, the ground dry, and then you reverse it. I want you to make the cloth dry and the ground wet. And, and he was looking for signs of confirmation that God was at work. We need to look for the hand of God even in the small things. Even, even in your hard times, even in your trials, and even in your test, God is at work. Oftentimes, when we're going through something difficult, it's hard for us to see how God is at work. We're unaware of how God is guiding us, but years later, it becomes clear. Years later, we see, even through this challenging time, God was guiding us and His hand was helping us. I want you to watch this short little video about a lady who was determined to find God at work in her life, even in the small things. Check out this video. I know God, you are a faithful God and you're gonna supply all of my needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. You already paid this bill, hallelujah. Amen, Thank man. you, Lord. 
Who, who are you talking to? I'm talking to the God Almighty. He loves me so much, and he has promised to supply all my needs, and he's not Hold a man. Hold on right that... there, right there, right there, crazy. There is no God. Have a nice day. God is blessing me right now, right now. Thank you, Father God, that you, hey, you are going to meet me. What? Are you praying over your car? God said he will supply all my needs according to- Hold on, to crazy. Why don't you pray for a good mechanic? Better yet, let me give you the number of one because there is no God. God, I know. You know my inward parts, so you know the inner workings of this car, and I know it's going to start in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. forever to this crazy lady that there is no God. you there is no God because I paid for those groceries. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you provided me with groceries and you had the devil pay for it. <laughs>
Gideon had over 30,000 men. Miss Emily, he was a good leader. He had assembled this little guy, had heard from God. He said, I'm going to obey. I'm going to fight the Midianites. And he went out and got 30,000 men to sign up in his army. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I think, man, that, hey, God's on our side. Look, we got 30,000 men to help us. This must be confirmation that we're doing what we need to do. Look what happened. This is such an amazing story. The, the, the Lord says to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. Then Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. My own intellect got me out of this problem. My own intelligence, my own connection saved today. My own skill set. There's been times in my industry, in my career, I, during the week I work for a residential lending company and I'm strictly commissioned. And there have been so many times where where I would see maybe my, my pipeline of loans would, would begin to, to dry up and get thin. And, 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 and I'm tempted to go, well, I've done this for this many years, and I know this many people. I'm going to pull myself out of this. And every time I go, Lord, if you don't provide, then I'm a sunk ship. It's not about how many people I know in the business. It's not about how many referral sources I have or how much I know about underwriting. If God doesn't provide, we'll, we'll put a closed sign on the door because I cannot make it happen. And I've come to that place in my life where I realize that it's not my own strength. Notice here what happened. So he, sent, he said, hey, if anyone is afraid, you can go home. 20, what is it, 20,000, 22,000 men left. Hey, if you don't want to be here, it's okay. Thanks for coming out. Enjoy the coffee and donuts. But if you're not serious, you guys can go ahead and go. <sighs> Mass exodus, 22,000 men say, okay, I'm gone. And Gideon's like, what do we do now? And he had 10,000 left. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 4. This just is amazing to me. But the Lord said to Gideon, you still have too many men. You know why he had too many men? Because these men didn't have faith in God as their source. Nothing wrong with having 10,000 men as long as all 10,000 men trust in God as their source. They did not have the faith. I would rather have three friends that had the faith of God than have a 100 that could care less. God said, there's still too many men. Take down to the water. And so anyway, let me shorten this story. He got down to 300 men, thousands of Midianites. And Gideon was confident. I got 32,000. Here's my strategy. You're going to go here. We're going to do here. And by the time Gideon begins to march to war, he's got 300 men. Why? Because God wanted the glory. If you are in a test and trial, if you're going through something that's very challenging and you are tempted to give up, if you get to the place where only God can provide and if you get to the place where only God can, can bring this to pass, then only God can get the glory. You did not make it happen. And so God, although he doesn't author those situations in our lives, he will redeem them and he will use them for his glory and his kingdom. I want to close with, with this what happens is they, in, way down in verse 22, the 300 men go and they've all got trumpets and they begin to blow the trumpets. And they sound, they sound like thousands of men and the army just freaks out and the Midianites begin to kill each other. And then they won. They won the victory. is a powerful, powerful testimony. But you've got to go in the strength of the Lord. You can't go in your own strength. When you're tempted to give up, let the Lord infuse you with strength. Amen. Amen. I want to ask Bruce to come this morning and help us. Now, let me share this last thing with you as we close this, get ready for prayer. 
How many of you have ever read Gideon or studied Gideon in depth? I have not really honestly studied that story until this, this, this uh, last week. There's something very disappointing in Judges 8. Very disappointing. I won't quote it, but I'll just paraphrase it. Read Judges 8. This is terrible. There's good, Gideon is, is good for 40 years, but it says they're actually making offerings to the fertility God. Even though Gideon had saved the day, they still turned back into idol worship. And then as soon as Gideon dies, BJ, this is so important, as soon as Gideon dies, they go back to the mess that they were in. And what that is telling me is that they did not prepare for the future generations. They did not prepare for the generation coming up next. So we have a responsibility to never give up. But we also have a responsibility to lay the foundation for future generations and to make sure that when we're gone that we've got fruit that would remain and to make sure that as we're never going to give up, to make sure that, that, that our children have a path that they can follow and they can see the goodness of God. It was a tragedy in the time of Israel. And let's let, let's let it not be a tragedy in our time. Amen. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a minute. I want us to all stand today. Here's how I want to close this out. I'm going to uh, go up in a minute and join with Bruce to just worship on a song here as we close. But I want Pastor Michael and Joseph and Gail and I want some of you to come up here. And I want us to, to take an opportunity where we are about to give up or we know someone who's about to give up. Maybe, maybe you came this morning ready to give up on your family, on your job, on your children. And you've said this week, I quit. I'm done. Let us pray. And as we're praying, I want you to, to just join hands with one another. And I want you to worship. Pastor Michael, would you come and lead this time of prayer? And let's pray for one another. And I'm going to join with Bruce. And we're just going to sing and worship for a minute. And I just thank you, Lord, for your presence. Let's, let's not leave this place the same as we came in. So if you'd like to come down right now as an opportunity, we can pray with you one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, Gail, myself.